take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts. So just a few weeks ago, we went through a series called Of First Importance, and we were looking at the last two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. And the main purpose of that series was to keep our eyes on the main thing, the Gospel that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared. But there was a second purpose to that series that we didn't talk about. The Gospel of Luke is the first volume of a two-volume work that Luke composed. And the second volume is the book of Acts. For months now, Uh, Your elders have sensed the Holy Spirit leading us to take our church through the book of Acts. That this is where the Holy Spirit wants us as a church to walk through over the next few uh, months and um, to, to really take a journey through that. So in a lot of ways, the Luke 23 and 24 series was a prequel to our Acts study, this journey that we're going to go through together. And I use that word journey very deliberately. Because our burden as shepherds is that this wouldn't just be a series of sermons that we all come and listen to, but that this would be a journey that we would enter into the book of Acts as a church, that we would walk through this together and let this portion of God's word shape our church. So my prayer is that we wouldn't look back on this series and say, hey, remember when Jeff preached through Acts? Those were some pretty okay sermons. No, my prayer is that we would look back on this season and say, remember when we as a church walked through Acts? We'll never be the same. I can't believe all that God did through our church when we took a journey through the book of Acts. And so to that end, for this to be more than just sermons we listen to, for this to be really a journey that we as a whole church family are walking through, um, I would ask you to do a couple of things, uh, and there might be more in the coming days, but first of all, I would ask that each week you read the portion of scripture that we're going to be studying the next Sunday. So next Sunday will be in Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 11. And so I would encourage you to read that this week and prepare your heart for what the Lord wants to say to us next Sunday. I would also ask you to pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would use this journey through Acts to make us a more faithful church, a stronger church, a more united church, a better witness as a church, and a church that is more shaped by the gospel. So with that, let's read our text for this morning. Luke begins the book of Acts by recapping what he covered in his gospel. So let's read that starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, 
he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Humans have a natural desire to get swept up into a grand story. We see positive expressions of this desire, of this love for stories in books and movies. Uh, For example, the highest grossing movie of all time was last year's Avengers Endgame. And there's a good reason for that. Because it wasn't just another good story. It was the climactic conclusion of a 10-year, 22-movie grand narrative. There are also negative expressions of this desire. Uh, For example, I was reading an article this week. It was about why it's hard to resist a good conspiracy theory. The article included this quote. Most lives are a touch dull. The draw of a conspiracy theory to its followers is reinforced by the perception it gives them that they are in the know. Truth be told, life does feel dull sometimes especially during quarantine. But it's natural really any time to feel like our lives are insignificant. To ask, what am I really doing with my life? To want to be part of something bigger than yourself. Well, I believe that that desire that we have is given to us by God. Because God is the author of, of the greatest story ever told. His grand plan of redemption for the entire universe. And in Acts, not only do we find the next chapter in this grand story, in Acts, and in our chapter, our passage today, the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus invites us to enter in to this story. So with that, let's get into the text and see how this story unfolds. So Luke begins this book by recapping what Jesus had already done. He says in verse 1, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So by beginning this book, referring back to the first book, Luke shows us from the outset that Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and Acts are connected. In fact, to really understand Acts, we need to go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, where Luke told Theophilus, uh, the one to whom he's writing, what the purpose of his writing was. So turn with me there to the first chapter of the book of Luke. Luke's purpose in writing his gospel is the same purpose for which he wrote the book of Acts. So let's read together Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled among us, just as those 
who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke recognized that he was writing at a significant point in human history. He was living at a time when things had been accomplished or fulfilled. God had this grand plan, this grand narrative story for human history. And in Luke's very day, or right, in, right before the time that he had been writing this, God had been intervening and carrying out his plan in significant ways, in incredible ways. And so Luke states his purpose for writing in verse 4. He says that he's writing so that Theophilus might have certainty. Certainty concerning these things that had been accomplished. Certainty concerning these things that Theophilus had been taught. So he, he wants him to have certainty. So he lays a foundation for which he could have certainty. And that foundation that he wants Theophilus to build his certainty upon has at least two layers. First of all, it's based on hard physical evidence. In verse 2, Luke says that his narrative that he's writing is based on eyewitness testimony. What he's writing is not made up tales to teach moral principles. He is writing real history, documented, witnessed, validated. Second, the second layer of the foundation on which Luke wants Theophilus to base his certainty uh, is that this narrative was rooted in Scripture. Notice in verse 2, the second part of verse 2, Luke says that he's writing these things and because they were delivered to them by ministers of the Word. Christianity was not created in the first century. It is the culmination of what God has been doing since creation, as recorded in the Old Testament. And all of this, the eyewitness testimony, the fact that these are the fulfillment of Scripture, all of this gives validity to Theophilus uh, and validity to Jesus and all that Theophilus had been taught about him. So these amazing things had been accomplished. And Luke wanted to reassure Theophilus that these things really had been that these things really had happened as he had been taught so he writes this orderly account in two volumes so let's go back to Acts chapter 1 now and look at how Luke summarizes his first volume so here are these first five verses of Acts he's summarizing the gospel of Luke so Luke says that in the first book he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Do and teach, according to the eyewitnesses. In his gospel, Luke recorded what Jesus did. We see all throughout uh, Jesus doing things, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, performing miracles, being crucified, being buried, being raised from the dead. He recorded what Jesus did and he recorded what Jesus taught. Jesus teaching in the temple about how he was the fulfillment of Scripture. Uh, Jesus' uh, sermon on the plain, which includes the Beatitudes and other teachings. Uh, his parables, like the prodigal son, uh, teaching the Lord's Prayer, 
Uh, Jesus teaching about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, Jesus teaching on heaven and hell. And, and of course, as we saw in Luke 24, Jesus teaching about how his death and resurrection were necessary to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures, just like he taught uh, his, his apostles there in Luke 24. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke dealt with all that Jesus did and taught up until his ascension, as we see in verses 2 and 3. Look at those. All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, when he ascended, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, So we saw this in Luke 24 as well. Jesus gave commands to his disciples before uh, before his ascension, including some that Luke is going to repeat here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus also appeared to his disciples and gave them physical proof that he really was alive. I remember he was audible. He was visible. uh, He was touchable. And he ate in front of them. And Luke also tells us here that Jesus spoke with his disciples after his resurrection about the kingdom of God. Which makes sense because the kingdom of God was the subject of his teaching all throughout the gospel of Luke. And then verses 4 and 5 say this. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We saw this in Luke 24 as well, right there uh, before the ascension. Um, The disciples were to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. So Luke summarizes his gospel uh, very briefly, but he summarizes the key points of his gospel. All of these things had been accomplished, as Luke said in Luke chapter 1. Jesus came, he did things, he taught things, he died, he rose again, he appeared to his disciples, he instructed them, and he ascended. Those are all the things that Jesus did while he was on the earth. And Theophilus, according to this first book, could have certainty about those things that had been accomplished. So why this second volume then? Well, look back at verse 1 again. Luke writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Notice that word, began. All that the Gospel of Luke recorded about what Jesus did and he taught all the way up until his ascension. That was only the beginning. Jesus did not stop his work when he ascended. Jesus continued. And what the book of Acts records is the continuation of Jesus' activity through his apostles. So what Luke is doing here in these opening verses of Acts is not just recapping what Jesus had already done, he is also setting up what Jesus is going to continue to do. So when verse 2 says, he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, 
we should understand that Jesus was not giving his disciples words to remember him by. He was preparing them for the next phase of his mission. One of the other details in this text that points to the fact that Jesus was preparing his disciples is the fact that Luke mentions specifically he appeared to them during 40 days. 40 days. Back in Luke chapter 4, Luke recorded how Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before launching his ministry on earth. Well, now here in Acts 1, Jesus spends 40 days with his apostles preparing to launch them into ministry throughout the earth. It's also important that we recognize that Jesus was not giving them instructions about what to start doing after he stopped working. No, he was teaching them about how he would continue his ministry through them. He was not passing the baton to them. He was preparing them for partnership with him, to be on mission with him. So in verse 3, where Luke recorded how Jesus demonstrated that he was alive, that wasn't just so Theophilus would know that something really did happen in the past. That's to reassure Theophilus and us that Jesus is today still alive. And today is still active. And even though he is no longer here on earth, Jesus is alive to continue his ministry. Jesus continues to build the kingdom of God on earth from the Father's throne in heaven. So how is Jesus going to continue to build his kingdom on earth from heaven? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, who was promised by the Father, who was sent by the Son to empower the people of God to carry out the mission of God. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. As we go through Acts, uh, Acts is going to teach us a lot about the Holy Spirit. But let's just establish some basics right from the get-go. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is fully God. He's not mostly God. He's not one third of the whole God. He himself is fully God. All of the attributes that scripture teaches us about who God is are true of the Holy Spirit. And because he is God, he is worthy of worship and obedience as God. The Holy Spirit is also a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He, the Holy Spirit, he is not a force. He is not a feeling. He is not your conscience. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, there's much more to be said about the Holy Spirit. And like I said, we will learn a lot from Acts about the Holy Spirit. But let me just share one practical point about the Holy Spirit that's relevant to this text. Remember this. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit was not given to you so that you could have God validate your thoughts and feelings. And here's what I mean by that. I've shared this example before about a girl who told a friend of mine that God 
told her that they were supposed to be together. And then a few months later, she says, God told me that I need to break up with you. Well, spoiler alert, that was not God. What she was looking for was a a way to validate her thoughts and feelings and by attributing them to God. The Holy Spirit was not given so that God could validate what you want to do. The Holy Spirit was given to bring you into what God is doing. And that's what we see here in this passage. The reason why Jesus ordered the apostles not to depart from Jerusalem was that he was going to continue his ministry on earth from heaven through the Holy Spirit that he was going to send to them. And we'll see even more of this next week, that the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' disciples to be on mission with him. The Holy Spirit is sent to take the disciples of Jesus and and, um, get them caught up into the grand story of what God wants to do in the world. Uh, Notice also here in verse 4 that the Holy Spirit is referred to as the promise of the Father. Uh, The coming of the Spirit was rooted in promises that God the Father had made, which were recorded in the Old Testament. Uh, When we come to Acts 2, we'll see Peter preach about one of these promises from Joel 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And here again in Acts, as Luke is using this term, the promise of the Father, to describe the Holy Spirit. Luke is reassuring Theophilus here at this crucial turning point in history that while what was happening was looking forward to the next era of what Jesus was going to continue to do on earth, it was not new. This next era, the things that are recorded in Acts, it wasn't a new movement. It was part of God's eternal plan a plan that he had been carrying out and promising throughout the ages and was recorded in Scripture. One of the striking things about this passage and really all of Acts is how much attention is given to all three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see that here. Uh, Jesus, the Son, is giving commands through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. Uh, So we see the activity of all three persons. And, you know, traditionally, this book has been known as the Acts of the Apostles. But a lot of people have seen how active the Holy Spirit is in the book of Acts. And they say the better title is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But then when you consider this idea that Luke was really the beginning of what Jesus did and Acts is Jesus continuing, uh, perhaps it's best called the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. But then when you see that all these things that are happening according to the, all the things that happen in Acts are happening according to the sovereign plan of God and fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, well, maybe we should call it the Acts of God the Father. But truthfully, none of these titles would do justice to the reality, the glorious reality of what we see of God in the book of Acts. What we see in Acts is a triune God, one God in three persons, a God working powerfully and seamlessly to spread his glory through the world. 
I like how Daryl Bach put it. He says that the, the more appropriate title would be the acts of the sovereign God through the Lord Messiah Jesus by his spirit on behalf of the way, which as we'll see is a common term throughout Acts for Christianity, the way. So let's put all these pieces together. Consider the story that is before us here as we come to the beginning of Acts. God had a plan for all of eternity. His plan began with creating a perfect world and placing humans in it to reflect him, to fill the earth with his glory. Man rebelled and brought sin and death into the world, but God's plan was not derailed because God's plan was always to redeem. He revealed his plan gradually throughout history and promised redemption in the Old Testament scriptures. And ultimately, God the Father sent God the Son, fully God, to earth as a full human who would live a perfect life as the Spirit-anointed Christ. This Christ suffered and died as a sacrificial lamb for rebellious sinners, and he rose as a victorious lion, conquering sin and death and the devil. And the Father has now taken up the Son to his right hand, to the place of highest authority in heaven and on earth over spiritual powers, over human powers, over life and death itself. And the Father and the Son sent God the Holy Spirit to live inside the hearts of everyone who turns to Jesus. And that spirit empowers all of us who follow Jesus to be on mission with Jesus. Just as the Father sent the Son, and the Father and the Son both sent the Spirit, now the Father and the Son and the Spirit send us into the world to be on mission with God. By the Spirit's power, we proclaim the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Through us, Jesus assembles his body and he causes us to grow up into the head who is Christ. The good news spreads. Lives are transformed. The kingdom of God flourishes among all the nations and the earth is being continually and increasingly filled with the glory of God. And one day, the Son of God will return physically to the earth to establish the fullness of God's kingdom once and for all. His people will be resurrected. The heavens and the earth will be made new. And he will reign forever. That is a story worth getting caught up in. That is a grand story that we want to get swept up into. It is more epic than the greatest movie franchise. It's more enticing than the juiciest conspiracy theory. And the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus invites you and me to enter in to this story. So how do we enter it? By being and making disciples of Jesus Christ in Erath County and around the world by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. How amazing is it that the resurrected Lord of the universe invites people like you and me to enter into this story by making disciples of Jesus? That he would invite nobodies like you and me 
to enter into this grand narrative for the universe. The kingdom of God is built by Jesus through nobodies. Nobodies, like Theophilus. I mean, who is that guy? No one really knows. But Jesus was building his kingdom through him. Because as we enter into this story, we don't enter this story as heroes. There's only one hero to this story, and it's the resurrected and ascended Lord Jesus. And we enter by telling the world about the hero of the story. What's amazing about how the Lord works and how backwards to our human thinking the kingdom of God is, is that we enter into this epic narrative, this grand story, by living seemingly dull lives. On this Mother's Day, moms, um, let me remind you, you enter this story This grand narrative, when at the brink of exhaustion, you depend on the Holy Spirit to show your kids Christ-like love. You enter this grand story by sitting on the couch and reading your kids the story of Jesus. You enter into this grand story when you sin against your kids and you repent in front of them, and you show them your need for Jesus, that's the same as their need for Jesus. You enter into this story by showing your kids what the gospel looks like when it's put on display in ordinary life. You enter into the story by opening up your home and modeling for your kids what it looks like to demonstrate hospitality and to be an ambassador for Jesus to your neighbors. The kingdom of God is counterintuitive. The kingdom that Jesus, here in Acts 1 and verse 3, spoke to his apostles about, uh, that kingdom is the same kingdom that Jesus said is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. It starts nearly invisible. It starts in the smallest of ways, in the dullest of ways. But when it has grown, it grows into the largest tree. This kingdom of God is the kingdom in which the greatest is the servant. After all, it's the kingdom in which the king died for his subjects. And it's the kingdom that Jesus is continuing to build through people like you and me. So what does our resurrected and ascended Lord want to do through you, even this week? Who will you speak to about the kingdom of God? What will you do that can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit? Whatever the answer is for you, it will probably be small. It probably won't make headlines. But even in our seemingly dull lives, we can enter into the greatest story ever told. The story 
of the King of Kings who came and died and rose and is reigning. And that was only the beginning. Let's pray. Father, you are the author of the greatest story. And Lord, as we begin our journey through Acts, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be swept up into this grand story, not of what we do, not of what we are, not of what we want our lives to be, but Lord, that we would get swept up into what you are doing for your glory in the world, what you are doing in history as you are spreading your glory throughout the world, as the gospel is going to all nations. Uh, Lord, I pray that our hearts would delight in seeing you carry out your grand story. Lord, would you receive all the glory in heaven and on earth? Would you receive the glory from us as we seek to humble ourselves and enter into this story as Jesus continues his ministry on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people like us. Lord, we love you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.